is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is necessary on your account. Paul says that to live for Christ in the flesh means that there is fruitful labor. Paul is describing a labor that does not culminate in a loss in the end, but a labor that produces results with eternal implications. The Bible uses the analogy of bearing fruit for good works and righteousness because fruit is the product in which a plant produces that benefits all who taste it. Fruit is also the means by which a plant multiplies itself. And in the same way, fruitful labor allows both unbelievers and believers to taste the goodness of Christ as well as multiply that fruit by allowing its seed, that is the gospel, to take root in their hearts and to produce the same fruit by abiding in Christ. This is what Paul means by fruitful labor. To help others know Christ and to look more like Christ for the glory of God. But Paul says there is a conflicting desire within him to depart and to be with Christ face to face. And Paul says his desire is to depart for that is far better. Paul desires to depart from this life that is broken with sin and pain and be brought into the presence of Christ, where he can rest and be made whole in the presence of God. This will be far better than the life that we experience now apart from God. People that don't understand Scripture often think of heaven being like this endless amount of materialistic things uh, that will be there like an endless amount of ice cream or endless amount of riches or a place where the Packers always go to the Super Bowl. Like, like these are the kind of jokes and things that fill people's minds in regards to heaven if, if they don't really understand uh, what God has laid out in Scripture that heaven is like. And the reality is, is that there isn't a ton of detail on exactly what heaven will be like in Scripture. Um, but there is one thing that Scripture does make very clear. And that is that the Lord will dwell with his people. And that those that are there will worship God out of an overflow of love and joy and peace that comes from being in his presence. He will wipe every tear and make all things new. And this is going to be far better than what we experience now in this life. Paul says that he is hard-pressed between these two desires, which is a healthy conflict to have as Christians. Uh, like, on one hand, we should greatly desire to remain on this earth for fruitful labor that is laid before us, to see the lost saved, and for our brothers and sisters in Christ to grow. Like, there should be a, a great desire for us to see that here. Um, but on the other hand, there should be this deep longing within us to be with Christ in all his fullness and glory for eternity. For he is the one in whom our hearts are made to love and to worship. And with him is fullness of joy. Looking at verse 24, Paul says, But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for, the, for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul is convinced that remaining on this earth is more necessary for him for the growth of the Philippian church and other churches that Paul has planted or overseen. And notice that like, Paul's motive to stay is, is not any kind of like selfish motive to remain here on earth. Like, rather, it's out of a heart of love for the church 
and for those around him. Paul's main concern is the progress and joy of the Philippian church by their faith in Christ. And if you were to leave today to be with Christ, whose progress and joy in the faith would you be concerned about? Like, who are those that God has placed around you for fruitful labor in Christ? And if nobody comes to mind, like, that's not a good thing. Like, if, if we're to love as Christ loved, we must have an outward focus on the faith and well-being of those around us. Later in chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Our hearts must be concerned with the faith of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and specifically like those sitting around you in this room. The summer is a great time to prioritize others through picnics or outdoor activities or whatever you want to possibly do during the summer. But I encourage you to like find one or two people within the church this summer that you may not know as well or that you just feel like God has pressed upon your heart to connect with and to encourage. Like Invite them to join you um, with the aim of loving them and encouraging them in their faith in Christ. Paul tells us that uh, why this is important in verse 26. So if you look with me, it says, So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. When Paul says, in me, like he's not boasting in himself as the necessary means to bring glory to Christ. Like rather, it is Christ Jesus working in Paul that causes the Philippian believers to bring abundant glory back to Christ. The word ample here in the text means abundance or to have more than enough of. So Paul says it is necessary for him to stay and return to the Philippians so that there will be an abundance of reasons for them to glory in Christ. Fruitful labor does not just result in more religious Christians or Christians that feel better about themselves or even more happy Christians. The purpose of fruitful labor in Christ is to result in Christians that bring greater glory to Jesus Christ. As Paul has already stated, for him to live is Christ. Therefore, the glory of Christ is the ultimate reason why Paul desires to stay and to build up the Philippian church, no matter the cost, even if that means being imprisoned. And for this reason, Paul is convinced that he will return to the church of Philippi again. Last week, uh, we studied how the advancement of the gospel should always be at the forefront of our minds. And in the same way, the glory of God should always influence our decisions and affect the way that we live. Like especially major decisions that we make in life. Um, we, we should always be asking ourselves when we're at a crossroads with major decisions, like what will bring the most glory to God? Like, how can I honor Christ in this situation? Which leads us to verse 27 in the text, in which Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, 
striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Here, Paul is now transitioning from talking about what has been happening in his life uh, and the example that he has given for the church to now a direct application for the Philippian church. And this application is vitally important to living a life for Christ, for the Philippian church, which is, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The Greek word for manner of life can also be translated as conduct as a citizen. Commentators say that Paul likely had Roman citizenship in mind since Philippi was a Roman colony. So instead, like Paul is using this word um, to actually point the Philippian church towards their citizenship as Christians, their, their citizenship in heaven. Their manner of life as Roman citizens is no longer the primary identity that they should hold. Like rather, they're now citizens of heaven as followers of Christ. Therefore, Paul says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The gospel message of Christ is an incredible message of sacrificial love. It speaks of a God who brought all things into being to rescue us from our own sin and separation from God. It's a message of adoption into a royal and eternal family that has no division in race or age or knowledge, but it's purely upon faith in the risen King Jesus. It's a message of forgiveness that while we're still enemies of God, what we were still enemies of God, completely undeserving of God's grace, he died for his people once and for all. It's a message of humility that the one who deserves to be served and to be worshipped came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as ransom for many. That's just a few aspects of the gospel. Honestly, I could just keep going on and on of all the incredible aspects of the gospel message. But this message is incredible, and its messengers must live a life that is worthy of it. Paul is pointing the Philippian church towards spiritual integrity, that whether he comes and sees them or not, that they would be living lives worthy of this incredible message. Now, while I was actually in college, the director for our collegiate ministry told us an encouraging story related to spiritual integrity that I want to share with you. Um, a person that he knew went on a short-term mission trip to Latin America with a team of two to three other people. And during their time there, they shared the gospel daily with the local people and had long nights pouring out uh, Christ and sharing the gospel with those around them. And they stayed in the second story level of a local grocery market uh, that they would pass through daily back and forth as they were going throughout the city. And so in doing so, uh, they also got to know this market owner uh, that also they shared the gospel with. And uh, they continued to talk with him every time they passed through this marketplace to go back to their room. And although uh, he, they had shared the gospel with him, he was not very interested in placing his faith in Christ and um, did not show any interest to further talk with them about that. And so uh, through all their sharing, like over this uh, short-term trip, like nobody came to Christ, and even those they shared with like did not seem close to deciding to follow Christ. And so this 
this man and all of his team like felt very discouraged from this trip, uh, from the lack of fruit that they, they didn't see. Um, they question if short-term mission trips like are really effective at all for trying to reach people for the gospel. And fast forward 10 years later, this person that uh, my collegiate director knows decided to return back to the area with his wife uh, for a vacation to revisit friends and just to show his wife like the area and, and the places that his team had went. And so as they went there and he showed her places that he had been to with his team, he wondered if the shop owner was still around because everything looked very different than it did 10 years ago. And sure enough, they were able to ask around and they learned that the shop owner was living on the second floor of the market building. And so they went to his door, they knocked on the door, and the shop owner came, and he immediately recognized them and invited them in. And as they talked, the shop owner then told them that during his team's visit almost 10 years ago, he had closely watched the way that his team had treated one another and prayed for each other and loved each other as they continued to come in and out of this little market. And he said it made such an impact on him that after they left, he began to ask himself, like, why is it these people sought to love each other with such a love and that they had such a strong faith in their God? And as he did so, he continued to ask more and more questions about Christ and began to seek Christ more and more. And not long after that, he actually committed his life to Christ and became a Christian. And not only that, but he began to tell others within the area about Christ. And in that area, over, over the years, more and more people continued to come to Christ because of his witness. And they started then what is known to be the first Christian church in that area. That they continued to meet within this second level room for Bible studies and fellowship in the second story uh, part of this building that the shop owner was now the pastor of, that he told them. Like, talk about an incredible story of how God uh, continued to bring fruitful labor from this trip. And with that, like, the shop owner came to Christ, like, not from just their gospel witness to him at that time, um, but said it was the way that their team treated one another when they thought that nobody was looking. Like, this is what it means to have spiritual integrity, to live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Like This is what Paul desired from the Philippian church, to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, whether he visited them or not. Living in a manner worthy of the gospel means living in unity with the body of Christ that the church would stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is not just what Paul desired, but it's also what Christ desires for his church. In John 17, Jesus prayed, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This unity comes from the Holy Spirit that lives within each person that is part of the body of Christ. We are to be of one mind, and the literal translation of this is the same soul, uh, which means we're to share life together uh, like family, in which 
often, like family, can at times still drive you crazy. And so like, Paul isn't saying that this unity is just going to come automatically. Like, it's something that we have to work at together in order to live lives worthy of the gospel. And that means that for each of us, like, we have to seek to love one another by listening to each other, forgiving one another, being honest with each other, admitting when we mess up, encouraging each other, and so much more. This takes effort, and it's not easy to do. But we do this because the body of Christ is unified in Christ. And this is what our overseers desire of us, just as Paul desired this for the Philippian church. And not only that, but this is what Christ desires of us. So we must keep pursuing unity. For God's church to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We have this in common. And when we do this, verse 28 of our text tells us that we should not be frightened about anything by our opponents. Because their very opposition to the gospel and to God's church is a clear sign to them of their destruction. That is judgment and separation from God for eternity. And we know that none can stop the Lord Almighty from bringing glory to his name through the advancement of the gospel and through his church. Like we should not have fear when opposition comes. For Jesus told us that following him would surely bring opposition, for the world is hostile towards God. And as we studied last week, Paul said the very reason he is in prison is because he is in Christ. And this is the same thing that he now encourages, encourages the Philippian church to understand, is that opposition is a clear sign to the church of their salvation that is from God. Like, opposition is not a random roadblock to the gospel and to the church. Like, rather, it's an affirmation that one is truly in Christ and will be saved by God. And we also know that based off of last week's study that God uses opposition to actually advance the gospel, like, not to hinder it. And so looking at verse 29 and 30 of our text, we come to Paul's conclusion with living a life worthy of the gospel. Paul says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Suffer for his sake. For many of us, just reading this like, makes us feel uncomfortable. It does for me as I read this and as I've been studying it, to be honest with you. Um, Paul says that it has been granted for us to suffer. And Paul is saying that it is by God's grace uh, that we're able to not only believe in Christ, but also to suffer for him as well. Now, it's easy to understand why God would grant someone the ability to believe in him, but like, this is what, because this is what brings about salvation. But like, why would an all-loving God like, grant his people the ability to suffer? And the answer is in the text. For the sake of Christ, for his sake, is why we are to suffer. Suffering for the sake of Christ brings greater glory to Christ. For in doing so, the gospel advances, and we share in the sufferings of Christ 
that further brings us into the image of Christ. Romans 8, 16 through 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If we want to follow Christ and be like him here and now, then we must not only believe for his sake, but also suffer for his sake. And God has graciously granted us the ability to do so. And I mean, think about it. Like, who are we? Who am I as a broken, sinful human being who was once an enemy of God to be made in any likeness with Christ at all? We do not deserve to be in any likeness with the perfect Son of God. Yet he has granted us to believe and to be like him in not only his suffering, but also his death and his burial and his resurrection. This is amazing grace. It is a privilege to share in the sufferings of Christ for his name's sake. Therefore, we should all together embrace suffering for Christ's sake when it comes, so that we may be further made in his image and that Christ would receive greater glory. Paul reminds the Philippian church that he is an example of what it means to suffer for Christ's sake. And to remember when Paul was placed in shackles with Silas in a dungeon in Philippi. Yet, like, what did Paul do when he was within this dungeon in Philippi? He rejoiced and he sang songs of praise to God. And now, Paul is in the same situation. Yet, he says he will rejoice knowing that the gospel will go forward and that Christ will be glorified. And that brings us to the end of our text. So before I close, I want to briefly just give a recap of six takeaways from today's text. So number one, live your life here and now in service to Christ. And know that when you die, you will be with Christ for those who have placed their faith in him. There's a place where you will never be separated from him, and there will be fullness of joy in his presence. May you be able to say with Paul, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Number two, live with a longing to both be with Christ and to long for fruitful labor for the sake of those around you. As Christians, we should live life knowing our home is in heaven with Christ. We should also desire to bring those around us to that heavenly home through sharing the gospel. Number three, live with spiritual integrity that is worthy of the gospel. Whether you are at home, alone, or with your family, or at work, or at church, may you continue to conduct your life in a manner worthy of this incredible message that we have been given, that we have been given, that is the gospel. Live in unity. Number four, let live in unity. Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Christ desires for you to live in unity with those that are sitting around you. And to further reflect Christ and make him known together. May we strive to love, forgive, 
and live together, whether on Sunday or on any day in between. Number five, embrace suffering for Christ. God has granted us to suffer for Christ's sake, to be made in Christ's image and bring greater glory to Christ in heaven. May we not avoid suffering if it comes our way, but may we know that God has granted us to not only believe, but also to suffer for his name's sake. Number six, lastly, look to Christ. In all these things, we as sinful humans fall short. We fall short in our service to Christ, in our longing for Christ, our spiritual integrity for Christ, our unity for Christ, and our willingness to suffer for Christ's sake. But where we fall short, Jesus did not. Jesus lived a perfect life in service to God. He is our model and the one in whom we find forgiveness and strength. For those here who are believers, if you feel God convicting you this morning through his word on any of the things that we've studied, repent and know that Christ's blood is sufficient and has already washed you of your sins. And he is faithful to forgive you and help you to grow in his image by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm really grateful that God has brought you here to hear his word. Know and understand that your sin separates you from the Holy God. And not only, and the only, and the only way to return to God is through Christ. Jesus willingly sacrificed his life on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And he rose again from the dead on the third day, proving sin and death has no hold over him. And for all who turn from their sin and by faith believe in him as the risen Lord, they will be saved. This is the gospel that is offered to all who repent and believe in him. And his blood is sufficient to cleanse you and bring you into the fold of God. Trust in Jesus today. That you and everyone in this room who believes in Jesus may be able to say, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your truth and direction and how to live life in service to Christ. We thank you for being able to process the example of Paul and God, how you spoke through him, God, this statement that changes the way that we do life every day. For us to live is Christ's service to you and to your kingdom, and to die is to be with you. I pray for everybody here, God, including myself, to help us to live in light of this powerful statement, God, and help us to continue to be bold in proclaiming Christ to those around us. Continue to long, God, for those around us as well as long for heaven and to be with you. We thank you for this morning and pray to be glorified for the rest of our time together. In Christ's name we all pray. Amen.